Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Uh, today is Friday, March 18th. And uh, joining me here on our very brand spanking new SOT Radio Network, uh, our fellow hosts, um, Gabby, Erica, Tiff, and uh, Doug. Hi, guys. Hello. Hey. Hello there. Hi. So this is great. We have a we have a whole new interface, and I know that uh, I wasn't able to be here for the show last week. That was our inaugural show on the new SOT Radio Network, but uh, we're really enjoying it. The quality is much better. So welcome, mm-hmm. everybody. Um, we see all of our, our chatters here. Um, just a quick note that if you do want to call in, um, you can, if you are listening through the browser here, you can uh, uh, press the uh, call button that's available there. Uh, and you have to, you just have to have a microphone available on your computer and then you can give us a call. So we welcome uh, calls and also input through the chat. Uh, if anybody has questions or comments today. Um, so today we're going to be talking about cold adaptation, uh, which is uh, quite an interesting topic and something it's, it's a little bit intimidating uh, when you first get into it. <laughs> and I, I haven't, yeah, I, I've, I've essentially tried it. Uh, I would still consider myself a, a lay person in this regard, mm. to use the religious metaphor. But, uh, <laughs> um, of course, we'll get into all the details as we move forward. But I wanted to ask first, uh, and I, we've talked a little bit about this in past shows, but not very much in detail. Uh, have you guys tried cold adaptation and what was... Uh, what was your experience with it? Doug, I know that you had, had tried it and it wasn't necessarily uh, ameliorable. <laughs> well, no, I, w- I wouldn't I wouldn't quite say that. It was, it, I was doing it for a while fairly uh, regularly, um, just immersing myself in a cold tub um, and, you know, afterwards kind of shivering and, and trying to get my body temperature back up. But I found that when the weather started to turn colder, I was having a lot of issues. Um, you know, I'd have to go out and wait for a bus in uh, the cold weather and it was just like horrible because I hadn't kind of brought myself back up to temperature yet and I really wasn't able to kind of get my body temperature back on track um, like quickly enough I guess is what you would say so I kind of ended up stopping for the winter and I told myself I was going to get back into it in the in the summer but actually never ended up doing that so yeah (laughs) since that time I've kind of you know wavered a little bit gone into some like cool uh, showers and stuff, but not, uh, I, I haven't gone right back into the protocol, but I, I'm planning to, I will do it. I've done it, uh, probably like in three to four month chunks. And I got really into it where it got to the point where they became enjoyable and I would look forward to it. And then winter would strike and it would just, <laughs> it would be too yeah. cold. <laughs> I couldn't <sighs> go through it throughout the whole winter, but I did notice good effects from it. So you guys find that it was uh, a little easier to accomplish during the warmer months when you had some reprieve? Yes. When I could go outside and be in the sunshine after doing it, that was fantastic. (laughs) But having Uh. to warm myself up. It also helps, though, if you do some kind of exercise afterwards or do something around the house where you're up and moving around, then it makes the the warming up a lot better versus just sitting in your chair or trying to lay in bed and warm yourself up. That's really, really rough. Yeah. 
Yeah. Ted, that she tried it, she got a head cold, and that it was that. <laughs> Still planning to restart it maybe this summer. So maybe, yes, yeah, summer is the appropriate time to restart. Yeah, it seems that way. I, yeah. um, my experience, I didn't start with cold showers or cold water. I started with cryotherapy, which is, uh, it is a chamber and it blasts like very cold air at minus 30 degrees uh, Celsius. I think that will be around uh, minus 300 degrees Fahrenheit. And (laughs) yes, it's very, very cold. Yes, it is for real. (laughs) But it's. It is much easier to do than cold showers, I later, I later learned from my experience as well, because it's just very dry air. You know, it's air. It conducts cold less uh, effectively. But it really, you really get the feeling of what cold, cold adaptation really is. You can see results immediately after the session. And you can feel better. Uh, yes, you feel like, you know, like very happy or very energetic or... I don't know. I really, really liked it. And afterwards, I tried cold showers. And believe it or not, it was slightly more difficult, the cold showers, mm. than the minus 130 degrees Celsius of dry air. But yes, it, it really helped to start the cold showers. I, I did the chamber too, but I'd been doing the cold baths for a long time before I did the chamber. I just happened to be in Arizona, and there was a place that had the chamber so I did that and I didn't really feel much of a difference or much of an effect like with the cold baths I did notice like a spike in my mood like a dramatic spike and a lot more energy and I slept a lot better but with the chamber I didn't really notice much at all but like you said Gabby the showers they're awful (laughs) showers are the worst (laughs) I'd rather just put myself in a cold tub and be done with it I kind of felt of that way too. Like it's it's like you know when you have the water kind of rushing over you constantly, it it, it seems a lot worse for some mm-hmm. reason. I don't know why that would be, but but yeah, putting yourself into an actual tub of cold water that just seems for some reason a lot easier than mm-hmm. than than standing in the shower. Yeah, because you get in and you're done with it once that initial shock wears off. But with the shower, you have to keep spinning around, and this part of you is warm, and then that part is cold. It's I don't like it at all. <laughs> nah. Yeah, it must I've have never... to do with like the. Uh, uh, it must be like the kinetic impact of the of the water yeah, on your skin that so. makes it worse. Oh yeah, I know. There's some instances where people are like standing under cold waterfalls and things like that to try and do some kind of a, uh, cold adaptation. I think there was like monks somewhere who would go to a you know a glacial waterfall and then stand underneath it. That's that's got to be difficult. But it's fun because you're in nature, I'm guessing. Oh, oh is it? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you and I have different ideas of fun. Well, I've never done the cold ad- adaptation, but I, I have done the waterfalls, but it was in a tropical climate. So I highly doubt that the water was freezing, but it is, as Tiffany <laughs> said, it's fun. It's a rush on your head and it makes you feel very alive for sure. Yeah, growing up where I uh, where I did and where I live now um, on the coast of Lake Superior, um, which if our listeners aren't familiar, that's the top of the Great Lakes, 
And it uh, even in the summer, it never gets warmer than 45 degrees uh, Fahrenheit. Um, so, and, you know, you just get used to it, you know. And uh, But there is always that adjustment period where you get in, you kind of hyperventilate for a minute, and then you get used to the temperature and you kind of level out. Um, but, yeah, I've tried the cold showers, too, and they are really hard to handle. Um, most of the time, I ended up turning the water off just because I couldn't breathe. And, oh. uh, you know, that, that I think leads into one of the things that we're going to talk about today, which is a combination of this cold therapy and breathing exercises. So mm. we've mentioned many, many times before the Areolus, um, breathing program, which everybody should check out. If you haven't, um, you can just Google, uh, Areolus. It's, uh, E-I-R-I-U-E-O-L-A-S. Blair spelled that right. Um, and uh, that's a, uh, a very specific um, meditative breathing program that has, you know, uh, specific laid out steps. It's not like you just breathe deeply and meditate. You actually go through uh, a set pattern and different ways of breathing, um, you know, that, that uh, tie in with each other. And it stimulates your vagus nerve. And so then it, it kicks in a lot of processes in the, in the body that we don't normally experience because most of the time, we breathe into our uh, upper chest and because especially like I think in, in modern culture where we're so kind of stressed out all the time or a lot of people are um, you end up you know with the the scrunched up shoulders and the high chest breathing and um, that really constricts a lot of blood flow it constricts your muscles it does not lend uh, to relaxation and so if you can get into breathing more into your belly with your diaphragm um, even that uh, is really beneficial. But if, if you then get into a, a program like Areolus, um, the benefits are, are, uh, immeasurable. I think we just keep finding new things that it does good for. Yeah, definitely. And not the least of which is being able to withstand cold water. Yeah. <laughs> so that's one of the, uh, one of the subjects of our, of our show today, not a guest, uh, to clarify, but one of our are, uh, the guys that we were looking into is this guy named Wim Hof, um, W-I-M-H-O-F, uh, and he is a Scandinavian guy who uh, has for some time now been uh, doing cold adaptation uh, combined with his own uh, breathing method, um, and uh, he shows that you can actually uh, influence your body's autonomic nervous system um, to withstand uh viral infections and a number of other things, um, and just for overall, uh, better health. But it, that I think, you know, there's a lot of really amazing things here. There's stuff that they showed in the lab. Um, but just also that they showed that he is able to control his core body temperature, even while he's submerged in ice for up mm-hmm. to like an hour to two hours. Um, so I guess to kind of launch off our discussion about that, um, we have a clip uh, that is, there's a interview or there's a documentary about Wim Hof that was on Viceland. Um, if anybody's familiar with that, uh, media network. Uh, so there's a short clip from that. And then another, uh, clip right after that, that's from a, a Ted talk that Wim Hof did. So let's go to that audio and then we'll come back and discuss. It isn't all about breaking records. Wim's mission is to use his body as a laboratory to revolutionize our understanding of physiology. In 2011, he was injected with a bacterial endotoxin in an experiment that challenged our understanding of the nervous system. In normal humans, the injection should cause a strong immune response, leading to fever, 
chills, and headaches, but not in Wim. It appeared that he was somehow able to suppress his immune response by making his body secrete adrenaline, suggesting that his method can allow us to influence our immune system at will. Scientists thought he might just be a freak of nature, so to further prove this theory, they performed the same experiment on 12 subjects Wim had trained in Poland, and the same thing happened. Normally, it's very difficult to increase your adrenaline levels by your own will. Adrenaline is released by the autonomic nervous system, and autonomic means that you cannot voluntarily influence it. So if you walk outside and you are robbed on the street, you will have a heart rate of 160 and your blood pressure will be sky high within seconds. But if I ask you now to increase your heart rate, you cannot do that. You cannot voluntarily modulate that. Uh, and with the techniques of Wim Hof, we show that he was able to increase his adrenaline levels to very high concentrations, even higher than people that go bungee jumping for the first time. That was something that we didn't think possible before that. If we learn to influence our immune system at will, we could potentially use that to treat inflammatory disorders where the immune system is overactive, including Crohn's disease and rheumatoid arthritis. In the third year of the university books in, uh, in the USA, all the universities, they have included a chapter calling the Iceman. That's about me. But in the meanwhile, they explain a comparative study, as you saw, these young people just trained in four days' time to be able to influence deeply into the autonomic nervous system, and the bacteria injected, therefore, had no chance. Within a quarter of an hour, compared to thousands of test uh, subjects before who had no... Uh, significant influence into the process of this bacteria on the immune system. They became sick, uncontrolled, shivering, headaches, and it was not nice to be there three to six hours sick in the bed because you couldn't do anything into uh, your system to block the uh, reaction of this uh, bacteria on your immune system. And now, uh, these persons I trained in four days. In four days, they were very capable to endure, say, the cold, uh, to minus 27 on top of a big mountain in shorts, dancing the Harlem Shake. <laughs> All of them. Eh? When we went on the slopes, it was on the Czech uh, Polish border, we walked up, and it was minus 10 when we began. After one and a half hour, we came to the ridge, which is the border at the same time. Then these uh, Czech uh, soldiers came, these military people, and they looked like ninjas, <coughs> completely covered because it was minus 17. They came over the ridge, and then they saw a group of persons in shorts coming up. Couldn't understand, but we made nice selfies. <laughs> and we went on <coughs> to the top and yes at the top it was minus 27 and uh, we danced the Harlem Shake together and yes then I knew I was convinced hey these guys they are back 
and have tapped into their deeper potential the way nature meant it to be in every person. But they did it and awakened it in four days of time. And four days later, they were in the hospital. And yes, they were injected and they had 100% score. Everybody had a control over the immune system in the deepest levels. Not recognized by science up till then to be possibly influenced. And they did it all. And so I did it also with 26 people ranging to 65 years uh, from 22 years, having all kinds of diseases like Crohn, Roma, MS, cancer, asthma, coronary uh, disease, uh, bypasses and all that, doing 65, uh, uh, 65 years old and going to 6,000 meters in three days. In three days. And all the physiologists and experts, they told us, it's not possible to do that. We don't want to link our name with your expedition. The people are going to die. Uh, Humanly, uh, physiologically, this is not possible to be done. And yes, maybe they are right. We didn't do it in three days. We did it in two days. I don't hear these experts anymore. They thought it to be that way. We got these old ways of thinking, patterns, and they are laying it upon us, on our, upon our children. You cannot do this. You cannot do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. Industries who gain a lot of money because, and I don't want to be political, but this is the old way of thinking. Uh, the food industry and the medicine industry, they are really not here to feed us or to heal us. They are here to make money. And that's the old way of thinking, uh, possibly originated from being insecure, having uh, you know, fear, and I have to take care of my thing, this narrowing consciousness. And I think, Right now, and has been proven, that we are able to tap in to the endocrine systems, the immune systems, deeply up till the autonomic nervous system level. And it's in the books everywhere in the world now. And so maybe still has to come here, uh, you know, substantially in the, in the books here in, uh, in the Netherlands. But USA already is doing this. And soon we have uh, new studies with the Harvard. It's all in there. And it shows that we are actually <coughs> very capable of preventing from disease. Very capable of influencing in, into our energy management on cell level. Very capable to get in our DNA. Very capable thus to intervene and direct our happiness, strength, and health. So I thought <clears throat> that was uh, pretty interesting. The documentary itself was uh, was quite good. It was more, uh, I guess, more like a personal story. They mentioned the science, but it's uh, it's about this this young man who goes to try out Wim Hof's method and then climbs to the top of this mountain in his shorts with no shirt on 
along with him in these negative uh, Celsius temperatures. Um, so, uh, it, you know, the, the evidence is there. And I know that uh, Wim himself is, is trying to get, like he said, he's trying to get this into the books. He's trying to have studies done on him in the labs. Uh, and I think that that is uh, extremely beneficial. But I guess personally I'm of two minds on it because when I see something working, um, you know, and I see the uh, the anecdotal evidence, so to speak, um, you know, in certain cases that's that's good enough for me. Um, but it's not it's not good enough for everybody, and so it's really good to have the the science to back this up. Um, mm -hmm. it, one of our chatters asked while that clip was going on uh, how the uh, the adrenaline might have uh, affected the immune response because adrenaline is a, is a fight or flight hormone. And I, I, I don't have the knowledge for that. I'm not sure. Um, Gabby, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, I was speculating also in the chat that maybe it was an immune response uh, via the activation of the vagus nerve. Because what Wim uh, does, he controls his autonomic nervous system through breathing, right? That's how I understand it. And uh, he says that the cold is his master. So he gets exposed to the cold. He breathes in a certain way. And that way he can control his autonomic nervous system. And from what we know is the, well, the heart of the, of the autonomic nervous system is also the vagus nerve, at least of the um, relaxation response that makes you like feel comfortable, you know, makes your body go into restoration, healing. So, and there is a very important uh, section of the vagus nerve that stimulates the immune system. So, yes, maybe we see these um, stress response, noradrenaline, norepinephrine activated during cold adaptation. But maybe it's just like, you know, uh, part of the response for, uh, to the exposure of cold. But there are other things going on as well. So maybe they don't have the whole science yet. I'm speculating here. But, yeah. Sure. <laughs> Well, if I'm not mistaken, doesn't doesn't I might be thinking of cortisol rather than adrenaline? Um, but I know I think cortisol does um, suppress immune response. If I'm yeah, not mistaken, I think that was mentioned in one of the videos. It said that yeah. cortisol is released in response to increased autonomic nervous system activity, and it does suppress the mm -hmm. immune response. Yeah. So when they did that experiment in 2011, when they injected WIM and the other test subjects with the endotoxin and were expecting them to get sick, they didn't get sick. And when they tested his blood afterwards, they found that in WIM's blood, the inflammatory mediators were much lower than in the other subjects that didn't do the breathing and meditation beforehand. <laughs> so whether the adrenaline is actually what is suppressing the immune response, or it's just maybe something, it might be correlation. Like, I, I guess they don't know exactly what, what the, the mechanism was there. Mm -hmm. well, well, the thing about well, his, yeah. his breathing, and he demonstrated it in that podcast with Joe Rogan, he like breathes in really forcefully and gets a bunch of oxygen in, and he just lets mm. go of the breath, but he doesn't breathe all the way out. So he's actually mm -hmm. doing this about 25 20 to 25 times and he's taking in more oxygen than he's letting out. And he said mm -hmm. that that's the way to get tap into the autonomic nervous system. Hmm. 
Yeah, and in his method, it's called the Wim Hof method. He says there's three simple components. It's the breathing exercises, the training of the mind and concentration, and then the gradual exposure to the cold. And I think mind and concentration plays a lot into this, too, because Wim believes very strongly in the power of his body. And I guess the people that he trains also have to have a certain amount of faith in that, too, or else they wouldn't. Mm you know, volunteer to do such a thing. So I think mind over matter plays a lot into it, more so than we think. And he said in that clip we just played, like the fact that the autonomic nervous system can't be, you know, consciously controlled is an old way of thinking. And not to say that he's special or like maybe his subjects are special in that way. It's just that maybe they're tapping into some kind of ancient method that we lost over the years. Hmm. Well, yeah, he said his um, breathing practice was based on his research into Himalayan monks. They call it a tumo practice. And that mm-hmm. these monks in the Himalayas uh, do these practices and then can sit outside in their loincloth and, ex- you know, expose themselves to extreme cold. And, um, you know, there was a study done. Uh, by scientists in Singapore on these monks, and they said that that they mainly noticed it in their hands and feet, that they could uh, keep their hands and feet warm, but uh, it sounds like Wim has taken it to a whole nother level. Yeah. He calls it the inner fire. Inner fire. (laughs) (laughs) What what I understood from, from some of the documentaries is that he didn't have a specific teacher or like guru or or a monk teaching how teaching him how to breathe that he just tapped into these accidentally by being exposed to the cold and you know that's how i understood it yeah he said the cold is my only master the cold is my <laughs> only teacher <laughs> <laughs> yeah he said he was like Seventeen or eighteen years old, he was just walking outside by a lake, and it just looked so inviting to him that he decided he wanted to get in, and that's how he started doing it. And then I guess it was years later, after he had um, a wife and they had children, and his uh, wife was suffering from some kind of mental illness, maybe schizophrenia. He said that she had hallucinations and things of that sort, and uh, she ended up jumping out of a window, committing suicide. And I guess he was so distraught from that. He was just trying to find ways where he could, I don't know, I guess make himself feel better and be in more control of his body. And that kind of set him off on this daredevil path, perhaps. Yeah, he said as a result, he studied all these different metaphysical teachings, you know, uh, Buddhism, yoga, and that... um, that was all for the mind, but not necessarily for his body. I think he needed something. Yeah, he said he needed to get the information from his body. I mean, mind can only go so far, but yeah. he wanted to tap into the wisdom of his body. What is amazing is that he claims that he can train anybody in two days, and they can do this. At least they can. Uh, people can have endotoxins injected into their blood and they will not have an infection. I, I find that like, wow, <laughs> I'm not yeah. sure if I volunteer, but it's like something serious to claim. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I know too. That yeah. is the really, the amazing thing about it. Like two days, 
it just it, it it's mind blowing. Like you know, it kind of makes me want to like sign up and just <laughs> what's possible. <laughs> Well, he's such an engaging speaker in the Joe Rogan interview. I think it's like two and a half hours. You know, he just, he, his energy is very electric and kind of magnetic, you mm. know. Uh, it, it does inspire you. And um, what I found really interesting was he was saying that he's not afraid to die because he's done all these crazy things, mm-hmm. you know, but that he's afraid of not living fully. And and fully is to go deep. And for that, any challenge I will take on. And mm-hmm. he does. He he takes on some pretty intense challenges. Yeah. That's getting back to the what whole was the strong belief and just really having faith in your body, the whole mind over matter thing. Well, yeah, there was one thing where he was hanging suspended from a cable, wasn't it, or something, by like yeah. one finger? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. And he did a marathon run in, I forget which desert it was, but like one of the driest deserts in the world without drinking water. He said he just had yeah. a couple <laughs> cups of coffee beforehand. <laughs> and yeah. Beer. Mm-hmm. And the was funny thing is, yeah, he's not following any kind of special diet from what I've heard. He says he, he doesn't eat until after 6 p.m. and he likes to eat a lot of pasta and he likes coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. would just kill me. <laughs> And alcohol. He likes alcohol too. Yeah. yeah. He's Dutch. You know? <laughs> he did say that he was par- like partly vegetarian or something yeah. like that or somewhat vegetarian. So, yeah, I don't know. So much for that idea. <laughs> well, I think it just speaks, it just speaks to the idea that, you know, everybody is, uh, is different. And, you know, this is certainly not an endorsement of, uh, uh, from my part anyway, of, of binge drinking or anything like that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for, for his own, physiology and his own makeup he seems to, and i don't know I, I i shouldn't speak to that i don't know if he binge drinks or not but he certainly does in the documentary <laughs> yes, uh, he, does. He, 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 he drinks some and uh yeah you know he seems to be able to handle it and be in in pretty uh in pretty perfect health so that you know i i think you uh it, it may be because he's he's so intense into the cold therapy and into the methods that he's doing that he's able to uh, handle that in some regard, you know, but mm. we know, we know objectively that alcohol is damaging to the body. He just may be um, working hard enough to be able to, to handle that damage. It, you know, that's kind of how I think about it. So, I mean, it, um, everybody should, uh, should obviously be able to make their own in choices and in, in what they do. Um, so I, I, we have pointed out many times the, the benefits of the low carb, high fat diet, uh, well, you know, we see here uh, in, in looking at, at Wim Hof that he eats a pretty high-carb diet, um, but he mm-hmm. does this cold adaptation, and it, it works for him. Uh, I would tend to think that if you did the cold adaptation along with the high-fat diet, you would essentially just be in, in that much better health. Um, mm. So I guess well, he's kind of coming at it from – from- He's kind of coming at it from the opposite direction. You know, he's coming at it from he, – he, he kind of has the ability to control – his autonomic nervous system. Um, most people out there, I, I think I can safely say, aren't able to do that. So it might be that, yeah. uh, that you know, by by coming at it from that angle, he can mitigate any of the uh, the effects that that a non ideal diet might have. Whereas everybody else who has to come at it from the the opposite direction and uh, and kind of uh, modify their diet to be kind of the the ideal for what a human can take in. 
Um, and maybe until you get to the point where you're actually able to control your autonomic nervous system, you might, you might have to uh, make the dietary changes that we promote here. Not to say that there's anything wrong with coming at it from both angles. There's no reason why you can't do like the meditations and the focused breathing that's happened to your autonomic nervous system and then still do a paleo keto diet. Like you Mm. said. Well, I also think think about it. Oh, go on, Gabby. No, I was just going to say that if you think about it, most people never do conscious breathing like not at all, you know. So it is really amazing to see the effect that conscious breathing has on even in the aerobics classes. You know, people feel like, wow, this is such a powerful tool. Well, it's a tool that you can take with you everywhere. <laughs> yeah, one thing that was really interesting in the in the uh, movie about him where he was training those other um, people to do it, when he started introducing the, the breathing one of the women started crying uncontrollably and having like a release, which for those of us who've taught EE have actually seen people go through. And, um, you know, what inspired me about Wim was that he went on this journey because of the suicide of his wife. And it was almost like he was going through a, a dark night of soul. Like he had lost everything and you know, even through all his reading, he knew that there was something that he could find that would help him work through this grave internal suffering that he was going through. And it's basically changed his life. I mean, I found that inspiring. Mm-hmm. One of the things I think is interesting about this is the uh, there's so there's different factors that work here. Um, so he's doing cold adaptation. Uh, which we'll we'll kind of get into in a, in a minute what the actual benefits are of that. But he's he's doing the breathing exercise, which uh, we know you know stimulates the vagus nerve, increases adrenaline, uh, increases the and regulates the core temperature of the body. Uh, apparently suppresses the immune response. But it's almost like I think that the the breathing exercise allows him to be exposed to the cold, and then the cold adaptation on the other side of the equation has its own benefits. So. Um, in prepping for the show, you know, and doing some more reading about it, I was reading about um, brown fat and how mm-hmm. there's the brown adipose tissue and the white adipose tissue. And uh, babies have a lot of um, brown fat in their bodies, and it's it's really thick with um, mitochondria. Um, <clears throat> and it, it uh, stimulates, you know, uh, uh, healing uh, within the body. So, you know, as you're growing up, you as, as you're younger and you grow into young adulthood, you begin to lose your brown fat because you needed more of that when you were young. However, uh, cold adaptation can uh, essentially uh, give you back more of your brown adipose tissue. Um, and even in people who are overweight, it can convert white adipose tissue to brown adipose tissue. Um, and so it's uh, that uh, is one of the effects. I mean, there are, there are others um, as far as increasing blood circulation and things like that, but I think it's interesting that so he has this one technique that allows him to expose himself to the cold, and then as he's more and more cold adapted, he gets he reaps the benefits of the cold adaptation. So it's not just like one aspect of this is doing the whole thing. They actually did tests, like um, they measured his uh, his fat um, in Wim Hof, and yes, it showed that he has brown um, brown adipose tissue. 
And that is pretty amazing because he's now like 56 years old or something. And you're supposed to lose all this brown fat by adulthood. It's just babies who have it basically to keep warm. And by the by your teens, you know, you start losing it. And when you're an adult, you're supposed to have none. But yes, apparently you can definitely get it back. <laughs> yeah, I think that that study showed that he had the amount of brown fat that a young person has. Mm-hmm. So he definitely yeah. regained it. And there's yeah. been studies into brown fat being helpful in uh, people with uh, diabetes. Um, and I think there's other other benefits, too, that they've showed that, you know, that, that having more brown fat can actually be extremely helpful in uh, a lot of different conditions, metabolic conditions in particular. Yeah, they showed that yep. it uses up more triglycerides and stored sugars. So people who have type 2 di- diabetes can really benefit from doing cold therapy. Mm-hmm. So I, th- I think the psychological aspect of this is pretty interesting, too. Um, you know, like you were talking about with, with women, you know, he has this belief in the in the power of his body. Um, but And I think it's, it's kind of a... Uh, it's a sticky topic to, to talk about because you have like the new age kind of world that says you just, you make your own reality, whatever you believe in happens, you know? And so by that logic, I should be able to meditate the, or uh, to levitate the, uh, the ashtray in front of me, you know, by, mm-hmm. by meditating on it or to essentially change anything in my physical um, universe here by the power of my mind. But it's not that simple. Um, and I think Wim Hof kind of touches on that by showing that he can connect. So it's it's not just, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not just the power of your mind that makes things happen, end of story. It's like mm-hmm. in order to do certain things, you have to actually connect the ability to concentrate and focus your willpower onto a specific physical aspect of your existence. You know, mm-hmm. so he's he's focusing on a specific thing, making that that wiring sort of, uh, I guess that's my metaphors, it's like connecting those wires between uh, his will and his physical being, and then that kind of gives him a, a boost. Um, so, yeah, it's not uh, just like uh, the power of the mind, that, that focus that you have when you decide you want to carry out some experiment has to be followed up with action. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to think my way healthier. I mean, if right. your focus is enough and your intention is strong enough, I guess, you eventually start behaving in a way that a person who is healthy does. And that kind mm. of is how it manifests, if I'm making any sense. Yeah. You know, this what you say, Tiff, it reminds me of uh, some information shared by Catherine Shanahan. She's a family doctor who wrote a book called Deep Nutrition, Why Your Genes Need Traditional Food. And she was sharing that fat has amazing properties. It has like stem cell properties, which is a cell that can differentiate in pretty much anything, you know, in the body. And uh, she show, she shared some studies showing how fat cells can convert to muscle cells and back to fat again. They can also convert in fibrocytes. And um, she called that process transdifferentiation. So it is amazing, you know, that we have so much fat in our bodies that we could, like, transform it in anything that is needed. 
if we mm. only knew how. Perhaps we're learning now how. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, that makes me think well, kind of, of uh, Gabor Mate's book, When the Body Says No, and he basically says that your thoughts can contribute to your illness. So in reverse, why can't your thoughts contribute to you getting healthier? Mm-hmm. Well, it kind of brings in the whole epigenetic thing, you know, where the, the, the kind of the, the popular notion is that we're kind of a prisoner of our genes, right? If you've got a genetic um, predisposition to something, then, oh, that's it. Too bad. that you Luck of the draw. When really more recent research on epigenetics shows that your environment actually changes what genes get activated and what, you know, on it's like on-off switches. So, you know, by manipulating your environment, and that can include diet, that can include cold, cold adaptation, but it can also include thoughts and, you know, your emotional state. Um, so those things all, all uh, can affect what genes get activated and what ones stay dormant. Uh, so, you know, it, ju- it just brings to mind, like, the idea that, yeah, you can create your reality, but it's not quite... It, like Jonathan was just saying, you know, it's not a, a, a kind of a, a one-two process where you just meditate and suddenly your reality is completely different. Um, it kind of requires that you're kind of doing things like manipulating your environment to affect your epigenetic um, expression. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of like it, it's, it might be kind of true, but it's a little bit more complicated than, than what the new age kind of tends to, uh, to attribute to it. Yeah, I would definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, it's like, like you said, you know, you, you start thinking a certain way, you begin changing your behavior, which then, um, you know, allows things to manifest. Um, you know, if I, if I wish, am wishing myself uh, to be thinner and more healthy, and yet I continue eating Cheetos and sitting on the couch, <laughs> like playing video games, it's not, you know, it's not going to happen just because I'm thinking about it. Yeah, because, because those aren't things that healthy people do. <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is no free lunch. It's not really like you know magical thinking. It's just like just by being aware and assimilating this knowledge of how cold therapy can really help you. Then you start to switch your belief center. Like, okay, I'm gonna be more exposed to this cold. I'm gonna have these cold showers and see what happens. Then mm-hmm. breathe consciously, yeah. and then that's where that's when this, the changes start to begin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I, I don't think that that. Should, oh, I, was, I was just going to say I don't think that that should change what's fascinating about the power of the mind. You know, we're not trying to say like you. You know, it's only action that does this. It's it's action and willpower um, tied together intimately. Because uh, you know, I think it's still fascinating um, that the the mind has this ability because it, it takes uh, that honing of your concentration and of your efforts in order to manifest those things around you, um, you know, and, and getting to that point is no small feat as anybody knows who's ever quit anything, who's ever changed a habit, you know, who's ever tried to learn something new. Um, it's not easy, but when you actually go through the process and discover that you have that ability and you're like, whoa, I can actually do this. Um, I think that is the, the fascinating part about the, the power of the mind that we kind of see as maybe more, um, uh, uh, I guess less fascinating than it should be is my point, mm. you know, like, uh, <laughs> well, in one of the documentaries, yeah. it was called altered state, the Iceman. 
he talked about his uh, first time going in, and maybe it was like what you said, Tiffany, when he was like 17 or 18. But he, um, he, he said it was the first time that he felt connected deeply within and that he uh, felt an overwhelming feeling. And after 30 seconds, he felt great. And one of the first moments where his mind got still, so there was no side effects anymore, there were no thoughts anymore, there was just feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understood that part as like his chatter was turned off, like he, exactly. he was able to pay full attention to his environment and to his body, you know. Hmm. It's kind of like um, <clears throat> one of the uh, one of our chatters here uh, had mentioned um, that, you know, brain stimulation is an is an important part of health, um, you know, and that uh, is a. a, a a lot of sickness um, that the brains are a great cause of sickness in the body. And I, I think that that's a really good point. You know, that the, uh, the state of your mind, um, the state of your thoughts and your intent uh, has a lot to do with the state of your physical health. And so changing the two um, in conjunction with each other is very important and not trying to over-focus on either side of the equation. Mm. And especially when exposing yourself to the cold, I'm speaking personally here, you know, you're outside, you're like, oh my God, it's cold, it's cold, it's so cold, and your brain starts going on that loop, and then you get colder, but if, you know, kind of like he talks about that inner fire, and this is what the Himalayan monks do too, you know, they imagine themselves as like a, an empty vessel filled with light, as, as kind of woo-woo as that sounds. But it's like mm. if the mind can go there and not focus on the external elements of how cold you are, but rather go within and find that heat radiating. I mean, talk about creating your own reality in that moment. Mm. I'm not a popsicle. I'm, a, I'm on a beach <laughs> with the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, I think there's something to that because when I've been like kind of outside in very cold situations and stuff, I notice that there's a tendency for the body to kind of tense up and really kind of like like almost fight against the cold by like getting really tense. And I found that if I kind of like just try and calm myself down and like relax the body and kind of like just sort of be there, um, I can resist that cold a lot easier. Um, it's it, it's it's. I don't know. There's definitely something to that kind of internal landscape that that um, you know changes how you. I don't know if it changes how you perceive the cold, but it changes how you react to the cold, I guess. And I think that that's that's an important part of it is is maybe not being completely tense and 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 kind of uh, trying to resist at a body level, just sort of like kind of relax into it. I don't know. Just yeah, well, it's, know that it's you're not going to die. Like this whole winter, I didn't wear a winter coat. It's not like I went out on long Mm. walks or anything, but I would go out in the morning just to go out and get some sunshine if there was any and get some fresh air and I wouldn't have a coat on or anything and it would be like really cold, like winter weather. And uh, I didn't feel cold. A lot of the time I couldn't even tell like what temperature it was. I always overestimated the temperature, like it might be like 20 degrees and it would feel like it was 40 degrees to me because <laughs> I come hmm. back in the house and check the thermometer and I was like, oh, I felt really warm. <laughs> wow. So it does seem that we have physiological mechanisms to withstand bitter cold. Like, for example, 
uh, you can submerge your face first in cold, and it will activate scuba diving reflex, which is basically it stimulates the vagus nerve, and your heart rate starts to go slower, and then you can, you know, you can withstand a cold shower much easier if you do that. Especially that I notice. Don't psych yourself out, you yeah. know, like, ah, I get a cold shower, oh, cold shower, cold shower. <laughs> yeah. That's the worst part, the preparing for it. Once you get in, get it over with. It. It's not it's like, oh. Yeah, it was not a big deal. <laughs> I feel more mm-hmm. energized. <laughs> That's one of the chatters said. Well, it's, it's distress tolerance. I mean, if you do reading on online and various sources about cold adaptation, they all mention distress tolerance. And I think that's a very important psychological factor because we are, especially now, so programmed to be comfortable, you know, or what we think of as comfortable. Um, we live in insulated houses. We regulate the temperature in the winter and in the summer. You know, um, <clears throat> we're very uh, averse to any kind of physical discomfort. Most people are. Uh, and so encountering that discomfort creates uh you know, a kind of extreme psychological reaction, which then ripples through your body. Um, but as you get into cold adaptation and begin to uh, experiment with it more, you find that even in other areas of life, you can, uh, you have a much higher tolerance for distress. So you can mm-hmm. stay calm, you know, in stressful situations, you can be much more level-headed. Um, you can approach things with more of an objective viewpoint instead of a subjective emotional viewpoint, um, you know, mm-hmm. when necessary. Um, so I think that's that's another interesting thing that speaks to that mind-body uh, connection. You know that as you as you train your body to become uh, more able to withstand things that we think of as incom- uncomfortable, you also find that you can also uh, withstand what we think of as uncomfortable uh, emotional or psychological situations as well. Yeah, there yeah. was a good article on Sod about that called Seven Reasons to Take Cold Showers and One That Really Matters. And he talks about just what you are saying, Jonathan, being uncomfortable is what cold showers are all about. Mm-hmm. And how getting getting used to discomfort on a daily basis is important because you can achieve anything. You know, discomfort is going to play a massive role. Conditioning your brain to accept, survive, and embrace discomfort is one of the practices that um, greatly impacts the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like kind of like just taking on the right attitude towards it, right? If you kind of, I mean, that's that's what I got out of that article anyway. Is that he was kind of saying that you know anything you do is going to have like have kind of some level of discomfort if you're going to try and like you know not be just a lump on the couch all the time. You want to kind of push your boundaries and and kind of grow as a person. There's going to be a certain level of discomfort there. So. Yeah, like the cold showers kind of like speak to that definitely is that once you've kind of uh, accepted the fact that anything you're going to do is, is going to bring with it a certain level of discomfort, then, you know, it, it's kind of having that right attitude towards it and and be more willing to kind of uh, take on that discomfort. A lot of people describe that it's more like psychological. Once you do it, they find, yes, it's not such a big deal, but it's more like psychological. Oh, cold. Whoa. <laughs> Just tell yourself, I love the cold. I love the cold. I love the cold. <laughs> cold. Like, like Wim, Hof, Wim Hof says, you know, the cold is my master. Mm. The cold it's is my, my only my teacher. Righteous, <laughs> my righteous teacher. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, there was another interesting thing that he brought up, Wimhoff, in one of his interviews. He said that when he does his breathing techniques, that it raises the pH in the blood, makes it more alkaline, mm. and mm-hmm. it helps with pain control. <laughs> and he said something interesting, like um, when you're at the brink of death and you're you're breathing very rapidly, and you get that alkalization of your blood, and it makes death a painless process. So I thought that was pretty interesting because, you know, most people are afraid of dying. Like, they think it'll be the most painful thing they'll ever have to go through in their life. And is that another one of the big lies that we've been fed? Besides, you know, you can't control anything in your body. All healing has to come from the outside. But death is an awful process Hmm. when it really isn't. Hmm. Well, that kind of makes me think about uh, inflammation too. You know, that I'm sure, I don't know if you guys have had a similar experience, but if you have some minor irritation in your body, like um, this last year I had a a plantar wart on my foot, right? That, and sometimes it was painful and sometimes it was not. And I noticed that if I was, uh, like slipping on my diet and essentially I could tell that I was more inflamed because it would hurt. And then when I would, when I would get back on track and I would do much better and my inflammation would go down, it would hurt much less. Um, and so the, I know that the cold adaptation as well reduces inflammation, uh, in your body. I mean, that's, you know, that's why you put a cold pack on a, on a bruise to reduce the inflammation. Um, and so that can also help to regulate the pain as, uh, along with the breathing exercises. Mm. Yeah, and that's a fairly conventional view on the cold therapy too. I mean, all these uh, different athletes are um, they're, they're, they're kind of bringing it, like especially in professional athletes, they're kind of bringing in this cold therapy um, as a means of dealing with like post-exercise inflammation. Um, you know, you got like football players who are going into the cold tub after a game or like, um, you know, Olympic athletes going into these cryo chambers and things like that. Like that's, that's a relatively kind of mainstream perspective on the whole cold therapy is that you can kind of mitigate the, the inflammation response using the cold. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting in and of itself and fairly uncontroversial at this point. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, if you guys uh, don't mind, it, this might be a good point to go to one of our other uh, audio clips. Um, and this one is kind of funny. It's just something I found while I was looking for stuff for the show. It's a, uh, it's from YouTube, and it's it's part of a clip of this guy who's actually speaking from uh, a bath. So he's he's talking while he's in the cold bath, <laughs> and he, he just talks about his experience with it, um, how it helped him, and just some of kind of the basic points of cold adaptation. So let's. Uh, Let's go to that clip, and then we'll we'll discuss. How's it going, everybody? It's Chad coming to you from an ice bathtub. So I'm going to talk about cold thermogenesis. It's something that I do with regularity uh, during the warmer months. I do it um, in a bathtub. During the colder months, I will go jump in a river or jump in you know part of a lake that isn't uh, frozen. And more or less, I started doing this. Well, I was really, I've always been into the cold for some strange reason, but, um, you know, I got into this years ago when I started to read about the um, Tumo Tibetans, which uh, they do a a medication where they stay 
warm doing breath work and a whole bunch of other there's a lot more to it than just breath work when you really look deep into it but they train their bodies to withstand extreme colds now i got uh interested in this even deeper when i first found out about wim hof uh also known as the Iceman, and um you know i just i would practice it on and off and then a few years back i got really sick and during, I think it had a lot to do with uh, mold toxicity as well as I had mercury amalgams taken out and just basically my whole system went and got shot to shit. So, but it, during this whole trying to get better, I was extremely inflamed. I mean, my whole face would just well up. It was kind of like a histamine reaction, but I can't, I can't quite call it that. But I would just use ice baths. I would come home every night from work and just, uh, I would get in here and just keep myself, uh, just chill myself down. And I would hang out for about 30 to 45 minutes. And see, and, and in that process, I was able to keep my inflammatory markers really low. In fact, if I remember correctly, I think my HSCRP, which is a uh, it's highly sensitive C-reactive protein, which is a cardiac marker, uh, that was down around 0.3, which is extremely low which is a good thing. Uh, that's basically, it's a good marker for heart disease. So uh, that's, I was able to keep that thing really low and uh, many others who do do this are able to reduce their HSCRP big time. Now it can also be useful for weight loss. Uh, I'm pretty lean, so I can't really say that I've had, you know, I wasn't, it's never been my uh, goal with using cold thermogenesis, but what it does is it will actually convert the fat in your body to what is called brown uh, brown adipose tissue, which is eventually it's essentially brown fat, which is what um, like babies have a lot of brown fat, and this brown fat is really dense in mitochondria, and mitochondria uh, it gives off energy, gives off a, a lot of energy. This particular brown fat, and it helps to uh, it helps people to lose weight because your white fat, which is what most adults have. That is what can be problematic, especially visceral fat. Visceral fat is fat that is around the organs. So a lot of times when you see people who have puffed out bellies, their, their actual fat on the outside of, say, their, their, their uh, like stomach area, in a lot of cases, even if they're really obese, it might only be that thick, but their belly is gigantic. And that is because of all the visceral fat that is actually around the organs. It's around the intestinal tract. And see where it really, really becomes problematic is when it's around your heart. Because then it starts to have a lot of constricting uh, actions to it. But, um, you know, it's a fun thing to get into. I've found a lot of benefit from it. And I find it, I mean, at this point, very relaxing. And also, if you happen to live in a cold climate, it's very, uh, uh, you know, makes it a little bit more hardy. Or at least that's what I've found. So if you want to start doing this, just start out. I mean, a lot of people just start taking a cold shower, and that's a great place to start. And then just work your way into getting into a cold bathtub and just start to add ice. I mean, like right now, most of it's melted at this point, but tonight I would say I think I, I had about 20 pounds of ice in here. Hey, uh, we have a caller, guys. So we want to pause oh, for great. a moment and take this call? Yes. Caller, are you there? Yes. What's your name? Uh, Scotty. Hi, Scotty. Hello. Hey, Scotty. Hey, Scotty. How are you? Very Great. good. How are you doing? 
Good. Not too bad. Good. Um, I I just uh, wanted to make a few comments. Um, yeah. I've been. Uh, I, I kind of want to give a little testimonial for cold therapy. You know, cold adaptation. Um, I've been doing it for uh, a couple of years since uh, well, I, I kind of started last winter, um, and uh, I really found that it uh, it helps in a lot of ways. Pretty much all the ways that you guys are talking about. Um, I started off with with cold showers, and um, first of all, I wanted to say that the 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 initial shock that you experience, you know, like especially if cold water hits your head, it's really unpleasant, and yeah. a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people, kind of they they sort of you know run out of the shower and never do it again. And I found that um, that's kind of that's kind of the initial thing to get over. And um, the thing that helps is just breathing because, you know, your heart races and you kind of go a little crazy. And um, so you have to sort of regulate your breathing and just force yourself to breathe slowly and steadily. And after you do this a few times, you can, uh, well, at least in my case, I could take cold showers. And in fact, I take them all the time. Hmm. Um, and it, anyway, after that, I started going, we have a, a little pool and we left it, uh, filled with water and uh, so I started going and submerging myself into near freezing water and um, anyway it's it's a little I, I know it sounds bad I, I just wanted to kind of say a few things because you know kind of kind of testify a little bit because I'm sure that there are many listeners going oh my god I would never do that um, and the benefits that, that I, <laughs> the benefits that I've found are um, health wise uh, I since I started, I haven't really had like a serious uh, sickness, like a cold or anything. Um, so it really does seem to stimulate your immune system. Uh, and the other big benefit is I feel much, much calmer after uh, after taking a cold shower, even or going into you know a uh, submersion in a in a pool or, or pond or wherever you have cold water. Um, so yeah, I just I just wanted to kind of maybe give some tips and, and reassure any <laughs> any other listeners who, who might be kind of freaking out at the idea. Um, yeah, it's good. I don't know. Awesome. Did, did, Scott, did you, did you notice any um, kind of effects on mood at all? Because I know some people have reported that sort of thing before. I did, yeah. It's. I mean, it, at first, I think the, the effect is basically, thank God I'm still alive. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of like your body is sort of in in shock and when you get out and you warm yourself up gently you know as well as as well as you can as quickly as you can i think um after i was doing it for several weeks maybe a month or two um i was actually looking forward to it because i knew that you know if my day had been stressful or i was you know whatever i could get in and chill myself and when i got out i was in a great mood and i was full of energy again and um so yeah i think it really does at least at least for me it really does help yeah. awesome how long would you I stay wanna, in I, scotty I, um well if if it's a cold shower i just as long as it takes me to shower and um if if i'm in uh, like in the pool when it's cold if it's if it's say like five degrees, I do five minutes, 
if it's 10 degrees, I do 10 minutes. Um, uh, the coldest I've ever done is it, the, the water was actually two degrees, uh, Celsius. And, uh, yeah, that, that's pretty, that's cool. so, but I only stay in, two, yeah, I only stay in two minutes though. So not so bad. <laughs> so you're not working up to the two hours like Wim Hof? <laughs> Set a record. <laughs> no, I, and I've, I've never, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by his story and, and, you know, his videos and all that stuff, but I've, I've also never, you know, I, I don't put on my speedo and go, go for a trek on a mountaintop or anything like that. So. Yeah. <laughs> I, would you I, I sort of use it. <laughs> I, I would, I don't know. I might, I might try it. It might be, it would be interesting, but I just kind of use it as part of, um, I'm also on a, uh, mostly ketogenic diet and stuff. So I kind of just use it as part of a, um, just sort of my normal health regimen. And, uh, that's about it. There's much more Scotty, practical ways the... to apply Wim Hof's method. You don't have to go in yeah. your underwear and climb Mount Fiji or inject yourself with endotoxins. You can get like, yeah. the effects that we talked about or that Scotty's talking about. You don't have to do anything crazy afterwards. <laughs> Um, the uh, one other thing, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, Scotty. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say one other interesting thing is when I actually started going into uh, into our pool, um, I noticed that uh, after a few weeks of doing this, I would uh, say the water was like you know seven degrees or something, and uh, various joints would start hurting, mm. like my like in my hands or especially one of my knees and it would really ache a lot for about one minute. And then when I got out of the pool, I was kind of stumbling and it, it wasn't, it wasn't painful. It was just almost like a kind of a, um, it was just an achy sensation for, for a minute or two. And then it subsided. Um, and I noticed that, that problems that I had had with these joints because of a past injury, uh, they seemed to go away and it seemed to bother mm. me less. Like if I was doing a lot of, you know, physical work or something, um, so in addition to the immune, the, the boosting of your immune system, it seemed like it also is kind of stimulating your body to repair all kinds of stuff. Hmm. That so. makes sense. Hmm. Well, yeah, I know that there's a lot of uh, instances of, of people um, who, who are using the cold therapy for specific injuries. I think I read in one of the articles uh, that we were reading to prepare for the show uh, about a dancer who had uh, injured themselves. Actually, I think it was like a boy band or something like that. He like injured himself in a dance routine and like was had a concert coming up, so was using the cold therapy to kind of treat that injury. So, yeah, there's definitely a precedence for that. Mm-hmm. Scotty, did you yeah. notice too, after you had done this for a while, do you get uh, cold? I mean, I know that you obviously get cold if it's very cold outside, but do you notice more of a resilience to the cold during the wintertime? Um, I was already pretty, uh, fond of the cold. Uh, I don't, I don't really mm. do very well in heat. So, um, I, I know a lot of other people said that suddenly they can go outside without wearing a jacket and things like that. Um, <laughs> I didn't really notice any, any change in, in that department. Um, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of odd actually. Huh. Well, yeah, maybe you were already sort of, uh, naturally adapted in some way. 
I have a similar yeah, thing. I don't possible. like. I mean, I don't like the heat at all. Uh, I really have a hard time with hot weather, but I don't mind the cold. Hmm. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I. I don't know. I. I do know uh, a few other people who kind of really hate the cold, and and after doing some of the the cold adaptation, they they did actually see like a benefit. So, yeah, like you say, maybe it's just uh, I was naturally warm blooded and. So, who knows? Yeah. And if you're lean, you might have more brown fat than the average person anyway, so it could make you Mm. more fond of the cold, too. Oh, sure. (laughs) Well, Well, cool. Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Any other comments, Scotty, before we let you go? Uh, No, that's about it. All right. Thanks for calling and giving your testimonial. Yeah, thank, thank you. Yeah, for, thank you. You were thanks inspired. Thanks for the great show. <laughs> I hope so. I wonder if awesome. that's what, what what people mean when they say "chill out." Go take, chill a, out. Go take a cold shower and take chill, chill out. <laughs> I think it will will inspire people because I think the majority are right now in the cold shower phase. Like they, we have not, you know, still (laughs) tried this cold swimming pool or cold bathtub with ice. (laughs) Ice, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of convincing to get people to switch from showers to a cold bath, but. I speak from very <laughs> personal experience. Cold baths are much, much better. Trust me on this one. Yeah. yeah? Okay. Okay. <laughs> I will. The oracle has spoken. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting in that video clip we just played of the of the guy in the tub. He seemed completely calm and like whatever. He didn't sound like his voice was trembling or anything. And he's talking about having 20 pounds of ice in the tub with him. Like that's Wow. You know, yeah. so obviously there is there is a, a point at which you do become rather adapted to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would put ice in my bath, but I couldn't really? do it unless I could sing. If I didn't have my musical device with me, there's no way I was getting in that tub because <laughs> I have to sing and thereby stimulate my vagus nerve, thereby making the cold baths easier. Yeah. So that's your meditation. Have- yes, that's my meditation. <laughs> My meditation will be the Siberian kids, like in their swim, swimming suits, in the middle of winter with their with their cold water ready to. Oh, we have one of the pictures there in the show. Well, it makes sense too, because you know I don't know when you were kids, but you know you'd be outside in your swimsuit and the sun's going down and it's cold and your mom's yelling at you, "Come inside, it's cold. You're gonna catch the cold out there," and you, you don't even feel it. Uh, hey, hey, guys! It looks like we have another caller here. Oh, great! Cool. Okay. Hello, caller. Are you there? Yep. What's your name, caller? My name's Joe. Welcome to Hello, the show. Hello, Joe. Joe. <laughs> How's it going? Good. Very good. Right. Good. And Very cold. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, all this talk's making me feel cold. Can you <laughs> just chill out? Talk about, like, <clears throat> talk about fires and stuff next or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, our next um, show is hot w- therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That's uh, yeah. That's got a different rating though, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, um, I, no, I just wanted to. I just was uh, inspired by uh, Scotty's. Uh, uh, your previous caller Scott's testimonial um, <laughs> that uh, yeah it's I mean for me cold therapy is really good I mean I don't have any um, kind of uh, too many ailments that uh, that I can cite as, as having been cured by it but I, <clears throat> I know other other people who have had kind of long term issues with kind of mechanical issues with their bodies and stuff like you know pains in their shoulders or back or whatever that that they have uh, cured more or less with, with cold therapy. But for me, it was, um, there's just a couple of things that kind of, that are in my, my mind or that I remembered about cold therapy and that it's, um, uh, <laughs> somebody's calling me Joe the Ice Plumber on the chat room. <laughs> <laughs> what the hell does that mean? <laughs> uh, I have no idea what an ice plumber is. <laughs> And it's not even this proper spelling of plumber unless it means, I mean, what, I collect plums in the winter or something? I don't know. Anyway, the ice plumber. Anyway, uh, yeah, what I noticed is that now and again I would like have, um, just depend on when I would eat and the type of food I would eat, particularly if I ate too much fat or something, uh, I would get kind of like a stomach, an upset stomach, you know, just kind of bit of nausea or whatever or pain in my stomach, and when I went into the pool uh, with that with that pain, it would literally like almost immediately just go, and um, and I don't know what's happening there at a kind of biological level, but for some reason maybe it's just like it's so cold that it kind of distracts me from the the the, 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 the nausea in my stomach. But I don't think so because it didn't come back afterwards, and it would only be in there for maybe you know five or ten minutes or something, and. Um, <laughs> it would just immediately cure uh, an upset stomach, put it that way. Um, but the other thing I noticed was that um, that when there's times to when you I kind of you should go in and when you shouldn't in terms of how you're feeling, I, I've noticed that when you feel a little bit, uh, if you feel like a little bit under the weather, like not that you're coming down with something, but just if you feel a little bit, who knows what it is, but you just have that feeling of being a little bit under the weather, <clears throat> Going into the pool, uh, a cold pool can really uh, can give you a boost, you know, and maybe it stimulates your immune system or or whatever. But that can really uh, make you feel better, you know, perk you up basically if you're feeling a bit run down. Uh, but um, the flip side of that is that when you're feeling, when you're really not feeling well, it's a bad idea to go mm. into the, uh, the cold pool because that can kind of make you feel worse. Uh, because I think it does probably task task your or tax your immune system. Uh, or, or your, you know, your whatever your body in general. It's it's a bit of a stressor, you know. And if it's, you know, if you're on the right side of, uh, you know, energy levels and stuff, then that can give you an energy boost. But if you're a bit too low, it can kind of make you feel a bit worse. And not that it's going to do anything, you know, chronically bad to you or anything. But <clears throat> um, that's just the other thing that I, that I noticed that there's a in terms of getting a cure, if you feel fine, yeah, go into the pool. But if, in terms of getting a cure, you should be careful about how you're feeling and your energy levels. If you're feeling a little bit too low on energy, <clears throat> you uh, it's probably not a good idea to to drop yourself into an icy bath or an icy pool. Maybe a reason for that <clears throat> is because uh, your reserves are so depleted when you're sick and you get in the pool, 
uh, and you get back out, you don't have the reserves to kind of bring your temperature back up to where it should be, and it just makes you right, feel worse. Yeah. That's just the guess. Yeah, you know? yeah because it is, it is quite a stressor on your system, I think. You know, it's... Um, I mean, your body, obviously, it's not something your body is used to when you're first doing it, and uh, uh, it has to do all sorts of new things, basically, to deal with this kind of, this, you know, because it's, I mean, we're talking here about um, effectively creating a state of mild hypothermia, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and that's stressful your system, so you do need to be in a decent enough shape to, to, to do this, but... Uh, like I said, it can help um, as long as you're physically, you know, in terms of um, your general health, if you're, if you're well enough and have enough energy, it can be really helpful for lots of different kind of mechanical problems with your, you know, depending on what it is, sore back or sore leg or sore, you know, anything where you've got some kind of a, even even muscular injuries and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, this is used a lot in, I mean, it's used a lot in sports, right, where they put an ice pack on things, but... I suppose it's logical then to think that you know why stop it just an ice pack get the whole get the whole lot in there you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. it it also does remind me of the contraindications for cryotherapy and the cryo chamber so if you have low thyroid function you might not be a good candidate because you cannot warm up afterwards yeah. you know mm-hmm. So don't get your old grandma out of the bed and throw her into a cold pool. It's not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. Oh, don't. Okay. <laughs> don't do it without asking her first. <laughs> uh, it's interesting what you say there, Joe, because uh, the whole thing about having like you know mild nausea or something like that from maybe overdoing it uh, on the food. Um, because it, you know, I, I, I'm reading some of the stuff for the the show. They talk about how by putting yourself into, like, immersing yourself in cold, the blood is kind of drawn away from the extremities and 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 collects in the uh, in the organs. And then once you get back out, it kind of more uh, circulates again, and it's kind of like supercharged blood at that mm. point. And uh, so I wonder if by um, you know getting into the cold when you're you're feeling kind of that nausea or something, it's kind of bringing blood to the stomach and kind of like supercharges the digestion and, and it helps mm-hmm. you kind of get over that hump or something. I'm just speculating. I don't know if that's actually true, but, uh, but it's Could interesting. Be. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Or like we were speculating on a previous show on water is that uh, very cold water uh, forms easy water, which is exclusion mm-hmm. zone water, structure water. Mm-hmm. It's very healing, so I wonder also if cold adaptation has to do with um, structured water in your body. Hmm. Oh, that's a good point. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's it's all good though, you know. I mean, it's it's just it's it's a pity. It's it's tends to be a bit uh, unpleasant, let's say, to, in the initial stages, you know. Um, but then you know, no pain, no gain, all that business. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Joe, how, Joe, how long did it take you to uh, to kind of get used to it, to where you you didn't really dread the initial shock anymore? Um, I think probably about you know, I mean, the idea, the, the thing uh, I was doing was two weeks uh, every day, for, uh, once a day for for two weeks, and then every other day. So I think. Probably after you know five or six days going in, my body just kind of submitted and said, "Okay, I see you're going to continue doing this. You know, no amount, no amount of." 
complaining I can do is going to stop you from doing this, so it just kind of gives up, you know, it's, and that's kind of what the body <laughs> does whenever you're doing something like that, that uh, it, uh, it doesn't like, but uh, but also there's a sense that it is kind of, it's a strange sense of while it's painful, uh, to a certain extent it's tingling, but it's not chronically painful uh, or anything, it's just kind of like uncomfortable. Um, there's also a sense that it's kind of good for you, you know, there's some part of you knows that this is good, you know. Mm. Uh, but yeah, about five or six days, I think, and and I was, you know, it wasn't it wasn't an issue anymore, you know. Um, sure. And that's not a long time. I mean, it just takes a bit of willpower. There was one day actually when it was really cold. I got into the pool. Um, uh, it was probably like five or six degrees, grey, rainy day or whatever, you know. And I was in there for five or six minutes, whatever the temperature was, and I got out and I was, you know, usually you're sprinting to the fire or the shower or something to warm up, you know, but. Um, I just kind of ran around for a little while like a headless chicken type thing, you know, follow all this kind of like <laughs> cold therapy energy. And then I decided I was going back in. So I ran back, <laughs> got back in again. Uh, which was, yeah, that was kind of like extreme, you know. Um, but, but I suppose that was one of the examples of, of how good it made me felt that I thought, well, you know, if once was good, maybe twice will be better, you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So... Uh, yeah. Anyway, I'm going to go, guys, but uh, thanks for the show. It's really interesting, and keep up the good work. Thanks for calling, Joe. Cool. Right, thanks, Joe. See you later. Calling, See ya. See ya. Yeah. Awesome. Another great There's testimony. There's some pretty clear testimonials, testimonials to the benefits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So for uh, for people who um, – I know some of our chatters here have been talking about uh, – you know, um, is there a way to, uh, or one specifically was was asking if there's a, if it's better to get that initial shock and just jump in, or if you can ease into it. And I, I think easing into it is is okay. Uh, mm. uh, you know, whatever you uh, you do, um, you know, in in terms of uh, healing your body, you want to be gentle to yourself. Um, you know, and, and don't, um, you know, you want to withstand the pain and the discomfort of it for the benefits, but you also um, you know, you, you need to take care of yourself. You don't want to shock yourself too too crazy right off the bat. Um, but we have uh, another uh, audio clip. Um, <clears throat> if uh, we could play this in a minute, that just it's uh, Dave Asprey, who's the bulletproof coffee guy, and he's talking about how to kind of biohack the the cold bath and how to ease yourself into it. And it's what Gabby had mentioned earlier about putting your face into cold water. Um, so he just talks for a couple of minutes about how to do that uh, and how to um, kind of acclimatize your body to it. So let's play that clip, and then we'll come back after. You've probably heard about people taking ice baths. You may have even seen videos of professional athletes sitting in a tub of water full of ice looking like it doesn't even affect them. It doesn't, at least not very much, other than improving their performance, but that's because they're adapted. If you want to get adapted, though, it's not that easy. If you want to just jump in ice water, it actually hurts, and it can cause, like, a cold shock. It's really uncomfortable. You get inflamed afterwards, and it's just not a, not a pleasant feeling. The way to get yourself into ice water, or if you're like me and you're just kind of lazy and you don't really have the time or the resources to go out and buy 20 pounds of ice every time you want to sit in a tub full of ice water. It's kind of expensive and takes a ton of time. You can do it, at least some of it, in about two or three minutes. 
What you do is you take a pan about as big as your face or a dish and you fill it with about that much water and you put it in your freezer. Then you add water, take it out of the freezer, add water to it, stir it up so you have really cold ice water in the thing. Set it on the counter, take a deep breath, bend forward and stick your face in the cold water. The first time you do this, it's going to hurt. You're going to be able to leave your face in there for maybe 5 or 10 seconds before you take it out. It's, it's just a horrible shock. But if you do this every night, after just a week, you'll find you can leave your face in there for 20 seconds, and you're okay. And by the end of a month, you'll find that, well, I, I guess I should get a snorkel because I can leave mm -hmm. my face in there for 4 or 5 minutes. And what's going on there is that the nerves in your face are tied to the rest of your nervous system, particularly to your vagus nerve. So by just getting cold adapted on your face, you can do this. And it changes your metabolic rate, and it changes your sleep quality dramatically. So I do things like I sleep on a chili pad, which lowers the temperature of my sleeping surface, which dramatically improves sleep on the metrics that I use for my sleep. But so does soaking your face in ice water before bed, even if it's just for 30 seconds. This is almost free because you're using the ice that was already in the dish to chill the water. You're not buying ice. You're not filling a tub. And it's not as big as sitting in a tub full of ice water, which is a profoundly amazing practice. If you like the Bulletproof Sleep Induction Mat, you lay on the thing and you're like, oh, it's so sharp. And then all of a sudden you just melt. The same thing happens when you get in a tub of ice water after you've adapted using this face technique for getting yourself used to ice water. So all you need to do is just get this part of you inside ice water and you're on the path. So that's kind of an interesting technique for easing into it, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. the same method that Jack Cruz advocates too. Starting with dunking your face and then maybe moving to cold showers and then going to the cold baths or lakes or rivers or something. Yeah. One of our chatters yeah. says it'd be a good wake up call too, and that does seem uh it does seem like it's <laughs> nice first thing in the morning yeah. to wake yourself up. But notice that he said before going to bed, and it actually there are yes, actually yeah. studies which shows that if you sleep in a room which is 16 to 19 degrees Celsius, that's around 60 to 68 Fahrenheit, mm. you will sleep much better. Yeah. It mm. actually enhances good sleeping. Yeah. Yeah, I like sleeping in cold rooms with blankets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> with blankets. With blankets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't sleep in the cold yeah, tub in a cold room. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> it's interesting though this the the idea of how to kind of get yourself into it you know like to maybe make things a little bit easier to kind of transition before you're just like dumping ice in tubs and getting in there for 20 minutes or whatever um you know the face method certainly sounds like a good way to kind of uh, you know adapt to it slowly i know there's some differing opinions on this like uh one of the articles, actually the one uh, that we were speaking about earlier, the, the seven reasons to take a cold shower and one that really matters, uh, the guy actually discourages easing into it. He says, don't go from a warm shower to a cold shower, just get into the cold shower. Um, I, I think you have to kind of measure things on your own and kind of see where you're at and not just kind of take advice on that. And, and you know, if you, you, I don't think you can go to zero to 60 in, in, you know, no time at all. I think you do have to kind of ease yourself into it. And you'll kind of maybe have a, a good idea of where you yourself are at, what kind of state of health you're in, and whether you can take uh, shocks at all. So, yeah, maybe maybe the face method is the best way for people to start out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it does, and it does have a 
psychological base, you know, it is actually called the scuba diving reflex. So if you, I think it's just the diving reflex, isn't it? Just the diving yeah, reflex. Yeah, diving. The mammalian dive reflex. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it is the autonomic nervous system. So if you condition your autonomic nervous system, you have more control over it. Mm. Yeah. I'm curious about the going from hot to cold thing. I mean, I, I suppose um, maybe going from maybe it makes a difference when you're in water. Because um, mm. like where I live, we have a really strong uh, Finnish culture. Uh, there's a lot of Finnish immigrants here from back in the day. And so as a result, everybody has a sauna. And it's a really common practice to take a sauna to get really hot and then go jump in the cold lake or into the snow, um, you know, cool off and then get back in the sauna and do that repeatedly back and forth. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, I know more healthy old Finnish people than I do of any other culture <laughs> personally. but. Mm-hmm. I think um, that really so helps the circulation going from hot to cold and back again because you get the, mm-hmm. the blood going through your core and then goes back out to your extremities and then goes back to your core again. I think we have another mm-hmm. caller, though. We have... Mm. All right. Okay, caller. Hi. Hi, everyone. What's your name, caller? This is, Har- this is Harrison calling in. Hi, Harrison. Hey. Hey, Harrison. Hello. I, d- I just wanted to, to share a little anecdote on that last topic about going from the hot to the cold. Um, so this is just a little historical tidbit. It may mean something or it may not. Um, but Gurdjieff, the guy that we talk about on the on um, you know the other shows fairly often, every once in a while, um, he, he was a big fan of the sauna. And so mm. when he had his, uh, he set up his, you know, Institute for the Harmonious Development of Man, you know, in 1924 or something in, in France, and uh or before that and so they built a sauna and that was one of the things they did and they'd all the guys would go out you know i think every 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 evening or once a week something like that and i just remember reading one story about that and how they the way gurdjieff would do it he'd he'd bring everyone in and there were kind of like i think three chambers or something so you'd you'd go from the relatively cool night air into the the very hot sauna and then afterwards the, the guy that was writing this story about his experiences with it, he'd said that he'd immediately want to go and jump into the to the ice water because that's what uh, that's what was part of it. But Gurdjieff would stop him and say, no, you can't jump immediately into the ice water. And so he'd, they'd go back through the progression where they'd slowly cool off, and only after they were naturally cooled off would they jump in the, in the cold water. So for some reason, they, uh, like, for whatever reason, Gurdjieff didn't want people to go immediately from the hot to the cold now, of course, that could be for any number of reasons. I don't know. Maybe it was just a little psychological test to get people to learn to, you know, <laughs> yeah, be patient. But uh, but I don't know. Maybe there's a physiological reason too. I just wanted to throw that out there, and I'll I'll bow out now. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Harrison. Sure. Thanks, Harrison. Thanks, Harrison. That that does make sense. I wonder if that you know because obviously when you if you're really hot and you jump into ice water, your blood does not instantly go you know, from your organs to your extremities and then back and forth, you know, the blood has to move at, at a somewhat slow pace. So maybe that's part of the reason for that is to, is to not shock your system too much and allow yeah. it to move at its own pace. Mm. Sounds more like a shock to the system really than, than any more, you know, conscious awareness of your body and doing it progressively. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I will say though, when I was doing uh, far infrared saunas, I could get into the cold shower afterwards without much of a <laughs> much of an issue. But it might not have been the best thing for me to do. It might have been too much of a shock. But uh, yeah, going from from uh, a hot state to a, a freezing cold state, I found easier anyway. But uh, but yeah, you prob- probably shouldn't do that. That's interesting. Oh, speaking well, of Ger- um, Gurdjieff, um, yeah. I think uh, somebody mentioned on our forum that uh, maybe Wim Hof is pursuing the way of the faker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Yogi. Yeah, Gurdjieff said that uh, the way of the faker is the way of struggle with the physical body, the way of work on the first room. This is a long, difficult, and uncertain way. The faker strives mm-hmm. to develop physical will power over the body this is attained by means of terrible sufferings by torturing the body the whole way of the faker consists of various incredibly difficult physical exercises hmm. so i don't think we should <laughs> get too, <laughs> you don't think too we focused should, uh, on climb the, yeah climb, on extreme things in our shorts yeah <laughs> balance is important in all things yeah. yeah. And just to be clear, that's uh, faker is F A K I R, right? Not not faker is in like not a, a falsifier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was uh, fakir, but it, you know. Yeah, that's, that's what I thought too, but maybe it is faker. That's me being pretentious about my pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> it's faker in American. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but there's still is other it, important aspects to work on, not just the physical. Well, that balance is really important. I mean, what were the other ways? There was the uh, the the monk, uh, yeah, the and yogi, and the, the way yogi. of the monk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the the faker was the uh, the the mastery over the physical body. The monk was emotions, and the the yogi was uh, the the mind. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So then the the best, the allegedly best way, or the you know what what they refer to Gurdjieff's uh, fourth way was kind of the the balance between all of those things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I guess the the faker would like uh, do things like sleep on beds of nails and like uh, <laughs> contort themselves into very difficult poses, stand with their arms over their head for you know months at a time or something like that to just to, to completely get the, the body subservient to, uh, to uh, the will, I guess. Walk on hot coals. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it is true, like, like uh, Chatter says, the cold is more gentle than the nails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if we're if we're to kind of uh, combine some of the all the stuff that we've been talking about recently with like uh, iodine and and then water and then cold therapy, it makes me think that you know, like uh, maybe a good way to do this because we had mentioned, Gabby, was it you that mentioned that uh, um, if your thyroid is low, you want to be careful mm-hmm. about cold therapy because you can't warm back up. So if you're if you're doing the iodine protocol, that may help with that with being able That's the- to. That's the other thing. I had a hypothyroidism, and that's pretty much when I stopped doing cold showers. And mm-hmm. since I've been doing iodine, I just naturally craved cold showers again, and I did it naturally. Like It was wow. not like a day that I said, today I must do a cold shower or else. 
and I was just like, I really want a cold shower today. <laughs> cool. I haven't reached that stage with the iodine yet. <laughs> I'm still at the stage with the iodine where I ask my body, does it even want it today? <laughs> oh. So then with our, with our study on water then too, you know, and we we're talking about uh, easy water. Um, exclusion zone and, and the idea that that uh, kind of contains more uh, information or more readily available information. So, mm-hmm. you, you know, would it be more beneficial to set up your ice bath and then kind of speak, you know, yeah. loving, tender phrases to the bath before you get in? Do it with breathing and meditation. There. It's really yeah. a hot tub. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the health and wellness method. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're at a good time to uh, to go to Zoya's segment. If you guys are down, mm-hmm. um, so let's uh, let's hear what uh, Zoya has for us today with the pet health segment, and then uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up and uh, have a recipe today for uh, bacon chicken, which is I've done one like that in on a past show, but this one is slightly different. So. Uh, here is uh, Zoya with the pet health segment. Hello, and welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Zoya, and today I'm going to talk to you about canine behavior and why there are so many people who are being beaten by dogs each year and what you can do to protect yourself, and especially your children, for such possibility. The thing is, when a dog bite incident occurs, many people think immediately that animals' behavior or temperament has something to do with that, rather than some sort of precipitating event. However, there is almost always a precipitating event, whether or not the people involved are able to connect the dots. Animal behaviorists often say that observing how people behave around dogs can be really scary. From hugging dogs and picking up dogs to sticking their faces right by a dog's face or bending over a dog, there are plenty really scary moments. As it turns out, these particular behaviors mentioned over and over in the uh, retelling of dog bite stories. And even if it isn't about placing blame, but it is about helping people to learn how to lower the risk of being bitten. A study was conducted when researchers sent out to discover what human behaviors immediately preceded dog bites to the face. They also wanted to gather data on the age and gender of bite victims, their sex and size of biting dogs, uh, the location on the face they were bitten, and the need for medical treatment. The researchers analyzed 132 incidents of dog bites to the face and reported these findings. In 76% of cases, the human was bending over the dog prior to being bitten. Over 75% of the bite victims knew the dog. However, none of the victims was an adult dog owner. In 19% of cases, the person had put his or her face close to the dog's face. 80, oh, sorry, 60% of the bite victims were female. 
in 5% of cases, the human and dog were gazing at each other. Only adult dogs beat the face and over two-thirds were male dogs. Over 50% of the bites were to the central area of the face around nose and lips. Only in 6% of cases was the dog observed uh, to growl or show teeth as a warning before biting. Over two-thirds of the bite victims were children and 84% were under age 12. The age and gender of the human didn't affect the location of the bite on the face. 43% of the child dog bites victims were with their parents and 62% were with the dog's guardian. Bites by large dogs were more often uh, medically treated than bites by small dogs. So the researchers concluded that risk factors such as bending over the dog, putting the face close to the dog's face and gazing between human and dog should be avoided and children should be carefully and constantly supervised when in the presence of dogs. And this warning is relevant regarding uh, all breeds, and not only breeds that got a bad reputation. But what about the precipitating event? Notice that only 6% mentions some sort of warning from the dog. Does it mean that in other cases there was no warning? Well, actually, there is also uh, there is always a warning. It's just that some people did not notice or fail to remember warning uh, by dogs. There are almost always signs before a dog bites. Some dogs will suddenly freeze in place and hold their body very uh, rigid. Others will stand with front legs splayed uh, and head low, gazing at you. And many dogs indeed growl or curl their lips to show their teeth. So what can you do if you are in a situation when you feel threatened by a dog? In such case, you should stand motionless with your hands at your sides. Avoid eye contact with the dog. If the dog loses interest, back away slowly. If the dog comes at you anyway, offer him anything you're holding a purse or jacket, for example, or anything that may distract him. If you wind up on the ground, curl into a ball, put your hands over your ears and stay still. Resist the urge to yell, scream or move around. Well, but that works for emergency situations. But what could you do to minimize or avoid the threat of being bitten? Uh, here are some tips. Make sure your puppy is well socialized and trained to obey basic commands. Proper socialization is the single most important thing dog owners can do to reduce the risk of winding up with a pet with behavior problems. Make sure your dog gets plenty of exercise. You can combine it with uh, playtime, but avoid games that make your dog too aggressive. And never put your dog in a situation when he f uh, where he feels teased or threatened. Always use a leash or similar restraint uh, when you are out in the public with your pet. You must be able to control him in public and if you can't, it's time for additional obedience training. Take responsibility for your dog's behavior. Take uh, proactive care of your pet's health. Feed species appropriate nutrition. Make sure 
he or she is well exercised, brush their teeth, bathe and groom them regularly, and make sure uh, that you take them for at least two annual wellness visits uh, to your veterinarian. Another point uh, that worth mentioning that proceed with extreme caution when it comes to vaccinating your pet. Apparently, uh, there is evidence mounting that vaccines, in particular the rabies vaccine, uh, contributing to problem of aggression in some dogs. Since rabies vaccines are required by law, insist on the three-year vaccine and avoid the one-year shot. Dr. Karen Becker also recommends to take a homeopathic rabies vaccine detox, lysine, after each rabies vaccine. Uh, also discuss with your vet the best time to sterilize your dog. Beyond reproductive concerns, intact pets are sometimes more aggressive than animals that have been neutered. Timing of this procedure is critical and should be decided upon based on each dog's health status and personality. And uh, last but most important uh, point, teach children, yours and any others who come across your dog, how to behave with an animal. Children are by far the most frequent victims of dog bites. They must learn to be both cautious and respectful in the presence of any dog, including their own. And never, under any circumstances, leave a baby or small child along with a dog. Just yesterday, I read an article about the fatal dog attack on a six-day uh, baby, the six-day-old baby, and it wasn't by the uh, usual suspect breeds like pitbull terrier, for example. The breed in this daily attack was an Alaskan Malamute, which neighbors say was rescued a few months ago by the baby's father after being told its uh, previous owner was going to have it destroyed. Malamutes, which are similar to huskies, are not bent. Uh, they are very beautiful, they are normally sweet-natured and loyal. But we should never forget that they are also very powerful, and they are actually uh, one of the closest breeds to wolves. Uh, they indeed uh, need constant exercising. Uh, owners need to take them for long walks twice daily. There are even uh, running and sledging clubs for malamutes so they can burn off their accumulated energy. And if, if such considerations are not being taken into account, sometimes horrible tragedies can occur. So be aware, take responsibility, and never forget your companion's ancestry. Of course, with some breeds like retrievers or collies, something like this has a lesser chance to, of occurring but all dogs have basic instincts and better to treat them with respect. Well, this is it for today. Hope the segment was interesting. Uh, have a great weekend and goodbye. Awesome. Well, thanks, Zoya. That was really good. And that, I think, is uh, definitely something that... Uh, people forget about when they encounter dogs you know um not all dogs are aggressive um but there is always sort of that like danger zone possibility that something might happen especially if you approach them in what they interpret as an aggressive way so just exercise caution and yeah it's good to keep that in mind i know for myself i usually 
you know, unless the dog is clearly like, get the hell away from me. Um, we usually just put my hand out and just kind of mm-hmm. calmly hold it there. And if they smell your hand, then, you know, maybe you can proceed, but if they don't just leave them alone. Yeah. I think it's, it's best to kind of, uh, assume that a dog is, is not overly friendly until they prove otherwise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to be on the safe side. Yeah. All right. Well, um, let's see for today's, uh, recipe, uh, this is called bacon chicken. And, uh, I know I, I, like I said, I had done a recipe similar to this in the past, but this one is slightly different. Um, so your ingredients, you want, uh, one half of a head of cabbage, uh, give or take four cups of, uh, of diced cabbage. So you can take it, dice it up on the cutting board. Uh, one lemon, six garlic cloves, one yellow onion, a whole chicken, give or take three and a half, four pounds, um, uh, take the gizzards out, um, you know, depending on how your chicken comes, uh, check, you know, oftentimes, uh, the chicken will come with the gizzards wrapped in a plastic inside the cavity. So check for that. I did actually do that once, like bake the chicken with the plastic bag inside. Oh. It, so yeah, that sucks. It's a bad day. <laughs> Not tasty. No. <laughs> um, one tablespoon of, uh, salt, <coughs> excuse me, uh, one half teaspoon of black pepper, one sprig of rosemary and 10 strips of thick cut, good quality bacon, uh, cut in half. So you regular bacon strips, cut them in half. Um, so, uh, you dice up the cabbage, uh, have the lemon and the garlic cloves and quarter the onion. Um, you don't need necessarily to peel the onion, um, set them aside, uh, pat the outside of the chicken dry with a towel. So get the skin dry. Sprinkle the salt and black pepper inside the chicken cavity and rub the seasoning uh, gently into the outside as well. So kind of get the whole thing covered with the salt and pepper mixture. Then you want to stuff the cavity of the chicken with the lemon, onion, garlic, and rosemary. Just get it all in there. Um, Then take the bacon slices and uh, weave them in a kind of lattice, um, like a basket weave over top of the chicken. And if you have pat the skin dry, the bacon should stick to the chicken skin. So that'll kind of keep it in place. Um, the weaving is not really necessary. It just kind of looks cool when it comes out of the oven. So you can, or <laughs> you can choose to not do that. Um, <clears throat> then spread the, uh, sliced cabbage evenly across the bottom of an oven proof, uh, oven proof pan or baking dish. Cast iron works really well for this. Um, then set the, the chicken with the bacon and everything right on top of the cabbage. Um, roast for uh, 350 degrees Fahrenheit for uh, anywhere from 90 minutes uh, to two hours, um, depending on how large your chicken is. Um, yeah, you know, check, make sure you check uh, that it's cooked through. Um, but usually 350 for about an hour and a half, that does it for me. Um, you can about halfway through the process, check to make sure that the cabbage is not burned and you can kind of stir it around the edges if it is, but the, the fat, uh, from the bacon and the chicken itself will, uh, drain down into the cabbage. And then when you serve it, you can slice up the chicken, um, and then serve the cabbage on the side. And it's really delicious. Uh, you can also take the bacon from the top of the chicken before you slice it up. Uh, and uh, chop that into pieces and mix it in with the cabbage as well. And it just makes this nice, like, um, fatty mixture. So that's uh, that's bacon chicken. 
Wow. Yeah. <laughs> sounds awesome. It's fun. I mean, it sounds kind of involved, but it's really not. It's it's not that hard. Um, had a friend of mine had an experience a while back where they were at the uh, the grocery store getting a whole chicken, and the person behind them in line said, "What what do you do with that?" You know. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of a <laughs> so mysterious. Comment. What do you, you know, do with that thing? I thought those were for restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not they're just used to having their enough. meals. <laughs> Well, they're used yeah. to their meals coming in like a, a cardboard box already partitioned out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. what, if what it's do you not do nugget shape, they don't know what it is to do with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we do quite a, lot of, quite a lot of roasted chicken here, and it's it's really simple. I mean, because basically you just you prep it, throw it in the oven, and an hour and a half later it's done, and you're good to go. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Bacon is good in everything. Yes, yeah. it is. True. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's our uh, that's our show for today. Thanks everybody for listening in. Thank you very much to our callers uh, for calling in and adding your testimonials about cold adaptation. That was awesome. Um, and thanks to our chat participants on uh, SOT Radio. Uh, so we really appreciate the work that SOT has put into setting up this new uh, service. Uh, the audio quality is much better, um, and it's just better overall. So um, we're really happy with that. So thank you guys. Um, and be sure to, uh, to tune into the other two shows on the SOT Radio Network, uh, The Truth Perspective tomorrow, which I believe is at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern time still, or if you guys know if that's going to, uh, to change um, no, because of the time right. change. Our started later today. Yeah, it'll still be okay, at 2 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Uh, and then the uh, Behind the Headlines on Sunday at uh, noon Eastern time. So... Um, Although that'll again, be thanks very much. That'll be at one. Oh, yeah. That what you're right. That'll change one. <laughs> it's so, just for these couple of, couple of weeks. Yeah, we we have until the, uh, the end of March, right? When the uh, when the European time changes happens, and we all kind of sink back up again. Yeah, I think. So. Yeah. Then we'll, we'll we'll be a little bit uh, a little uh, little changes until then, and then we'll we'll all be back on the same schedule. So. Mm. All right. Well, thanks again, everybody. Uh, Have a really great uh, weekend, and we will see you all next Friday. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye, everybody.